guys, really, really happy you joined us. We're, um, like as Danny just beautifully led us, uh, we are here to just praise him, um, give him what we owe him, uh, and worship the Lord Jesus. And we celebrate Jesus' birth this whole month. Um, and so we're going to get into a teaching from the scriptures here in a minute. But uh, we have our Christmas Eve gatherings coming up here on Friday, which we're super excited about, 3.30 and 5 p.m. So please come out, bring your families. It's a great time to invite friends. Also tonight we have the Elf movie night, which is going to be super fun as well, 6 p.m. So come join us for that. Uh, more details at the end of the gathering so that you don't forget. Um, Let's uh, stand for the uh, reading of Scripture. So God says, Rebuild the road. Clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the Holy One says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all the people would pass away, all the souls I've made. I was angry, so I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way. I've seen what they do, but I will heal them anyways. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. So normally I like to start out with something clever. But sometimes that's just too much to ask. And this is one of those weeks because I had a red-eye flight. It threw off my sleep schedule. I haven't been sleeping awesome. So we're just going to launch right in. Um, so we're in this Advent series, um, anticipating the birth of Jesus. And each week of Advent represents a characteristic of God's reign that arrives when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. A characteristic of God's reign that arrives when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. So week one is hope. Week two is joy. Week three today is peace. And this year, uh, we're examining these characteristics of Jesus' reign through the lens of Isaiah the prophet, who lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And if you've been here, you know that through Isaiah, God is warning that there will be judgment for Israel's many generations of corruption and hardness of heart and for being closed to the poor and to the outsider. But there is still hope. That is the prophetic hope of this book. God is not abandoning his people. He's still going to honor his promise to Abraham and to King David to bless all of the nations of the earth through their family. We just read it. You saw it in the couple of verses from Isaiah 57 we just read. And that's not because that Israel is going to clean up their act and sort of get their lives together. But it's because God is full of grace and compassion and forgiveness and mercy. And he never goes back on his word. That's what this has all been about. And, and by the way, if any of this sort of sounds new to you um, because you haven't been here, please go back and listen to the last couple of weeks of the podcast um, because there's really just way too much for us to recap here. But uh, Isaiah's prophecies, they center around a figure, uh, the Messianic king. And the Messianic king is the one who's promised to come and he's going to be the one who gets it right. And he's going to be the one who ushers in the reign of God for good. So the description of the Messiah begins in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son of, is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of, of his government and the, of the greatness of his peace, there will be no end. So this idea of peace this is a major part of Messiah's identity and mission. So um, think about that. Peace is such a part of Jesus' identity and it's such a characteristic of his leadership that it's actually in his name. And they call him the Prince of Peace. You know, you don't always get the chance to choose uh, your nickname. You know what I mean? So uh, growing up, 
uh, well, my, my last name is Rothrock, which is unique and interesting. Um, most people I meet are like, whoa, I've never heard that before. That's kind of cool. But growing up, they nicknamed me The Rock because this was the early 2000s and Dwayne Johnson was still just a wrestler and all of that. And so I was called The Rock. I didn't choose it, but I couldn't change it because it stuck. Now, um, if you play just about any sport in high school and you're a guy, I know, John, you played football. If you played football, it's a great nickname. If you wrestle, great nickname. Rugby, great nickname. Even basketball, it's fine. I was a swimmer. <laughs> so The Rock is the least intimidating Nickname that you could possibly have. You're, well, how would you feel if you were swimming against the rock? You'd be like, great, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I've got it in the bag. So anyways, my, that was my, not by choice, that was the nickname that followed me all throughout high school. Um, so the Messiah, he, he's known, he will be known, Isaiah tells us, as the Prince of Peace because it's such a part of who he is and what he's about that this is what they're going to call him. He's going to be called the Prince of Peace. And I, I, was, I was reflecting on that this week. I just made me wonder, like, man, wouldn't that be cool if that were us? If people were like, you know, it's those people. They gather in that little white chapel on Newport Avenue, and they just, like, they're just, they just do peace. They just make peace everywhere they go. Like, wouldn't that be a cool thing to be known for? That we're known for the good that we deposit into our community. That would be awesome. And that's what the Messiah will be known for. One of many things. Now, when we talk about, quote, real peace in like, uh, like broader society, it's met with at least a little bit of, of cynicism. And I think that that's because um, there's a lot that's baked into our society's subconscious. We talk about this a fair amount. Um, in around the area of peace, we've got peace treaties that are knocking around in our skulls from our society's subconscious, like the Treaty of Versailles and the League of Nations, which also marked the end of World War I. But as I'm sure you remember from like middle school history and all of those Tom Hanks movies, uh, the Treaty of Versailles didn't really take, did it? Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us could do any better than Woodrow Wilson, uh, obviously, but hindsight brings a lot of clarity. The treaty that was designed and negotiated to bring peace ended up actually hurting everyone in the long run, and it ended up causing another world war. And that's a part of our cultural narrative. Whether or not that's fresh in your mind or not, that's just a part of our cultural narrative. So we tend to be cynical around this idea of peace. And you add to that, um, if your anchor point is the feed of headlines in your news app or whatever social media wormhole the Silicon Valley algorithm has trapped you in, it's no surprise that in 2021, optimism around peaceful outcomes between opposing parties is at an all-time low in my lifetime. We just are cynical when it comes to peace. So the word peace then is sort of being emptied and stripped of its meaning and its power. And it sounds like a feel-good trope from a low-budget holiday movie. And it's just time that we change the conversation. Jesus said, Peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Amen. We need to make sure that we don't allow cultural narratives to colonize our reading of the scriptures. When Jesus says peace, he's not talking about the peace that the world gives or promises. When Jesus here in John 14 and when the Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57 says at the end of a long season of slavery, peace and abundant peace to those who are near and to those who are far. What he's doing is he's inviting you to anchor your vision of reality, the thing that you aim your life at in the direction of of the peace that only Messiah brings. And this is an invitation for you and I to trust in the Prince of Peace and to follow in the way of peace. So that begs the question, like, what is peace then, according to Jesus? If it's not like the world's peace, what is it then? What is it really? So um, we're just going to do a little bit of Bible work on this. Um, in the Bible, many of you know the word for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And we talk about that a lot here at Riverbend uh, because it's a really great, like, shorthand way of describing Jesus' vision for your life. And he describes it at length um, in his Sermon on the Mount, which we just finished studying together over the last 
several months, like five months or so. Uh, but I love how um, the, the great Hebrew scholar Cornelius Plantinga Jr. puts it. He says, Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in faithfulness, justice, and delight. We call shalom peace, but it means so much more than peace of mind or ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing and delight. Each created thing, wonder. Each created person, a source of joy. And reigning over all of it is the earth's creator and savior, the one who opens doors and opens hearts and speaks welcome to children. That, you guys, is something that you cannot get from Hallmark or Elf. No shade on Will Ferrell, but you can only get that kind of peace from King Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So when you think of shalom, think everything is as it should be. Think about the inner disposition of just true well-being, despite maybe what we might be experiencing in our circumstances of life. All is well because we are right with God and all things are flourishing. Um, so in, in, in the new creation, when God's eternal reign of peace is fully consummated or established, everything will be as it should be. No one is forgotten. There's no injustice there's no corruption. Another poetic way that Isaiah puts it is that the lion will lay down with the lamb, or in other words, the most ferocious creature of your imagination is in harmony with the most defenseless and innocent one. And if you're sort of reaching or stretching to understand, I get it because this is actually outside of the realm of our ability to see because it's like everything as God intended it to be. And we live in this very mixed place where there is peace and there is shalom, but there's also a lot of evil and brokenness and darkness. But when we imagine a world that's filled with shalom, what we're imagining is everything is as God intended it to be and according to his design. Now, I want shalom for us. I want shalom for you. I want shalom for our church. This is what I want for this next year. Would 2022 be a year of shalom? Or you are flourishing in relationship to Jesus, where, where flourishing and delight is the thing that sort of lights your path in relationship to God. So, so that is, in a nutshell, what shalom is in the Bible. But really, honestly, there's way more to it than that. But this, uh, we have to keep moving, though, because the idea of shalom uh, in, like, the drama of Isaiah's prophecies is a striking picture that I hope, I genuinely hope that I can do justice. So um, this would take us years to uh, sort of unfold all of the layers of meaning in Isaiah around peace and shalom and the Messiah's coming. I'm not exaggerating at all. People have done it and honestly it would take us years to, 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 to study it all. Um, by my account, there's at least 16 references to Shalom in Isaiah, um, and they each sort of highlight a different aspect of Messiah's reign. But this primary vision of the Messiah that we've been talking about so far in this series comes from Isaiah chapter 9 through 11. That's the line about wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And it goes on to describe what this king will be like. And the thing that sticks out to us in this vision is kind of what you'd expect with a virtuous king. From Isaiah chapter 9 and 11, we get the picture that the king is someone with authority. He's got power to reign, power for his will to be done. He's got power to defend his rule and his reign from other powers. And number two, we find in this picture or this vision of, of the king from Isaiah 9 through 11 that a king is someone with honor. He's respected. He's feared. He's on the throne. People say things like, long live the king and, and, and stuff like that. And number three, a king is someone who has the allegiance of his people. He's got the allegiance and the loyalty of his people. They serve him, they obey him, and they vow to him to be loyal to him and to his family. That's the sort of archetypal image of what a king is, uh, according to this Isaiahic uh, vision from the early, part, the early parts. So Isaiah and his friends would have been, like, to put it in a colloquial way, would have been just stoked and excited when they heard about that king. 
is coming to reign in the not-too-distant future. And around the time of Jesus' birth, there were many who claimed to be Messiah. And so the students of the Bible were, Bible were like eagerly searching the scriptures uh, in order to discover what this king would truly be like. Or in the words of Tim Mackey, will the true messianic king please stand up? Which I love. Which it, it, it's depressing to me that for some of you that reference is a little bit too old. I'm genuinely depressed about that. <laughs> but in the latter part of Isaiah, um, Isaiah chapter 52 through 57 to be specific, he starts recounting a different vision. And he's clearly referring to the same messianic figure. He's like from the shoot of Jesse and he's from the arm of the Lord and all of that. But he's referred to as the servant like at least a dozen times. The servant. So here's like the headline, if you will, from chapter 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected by mankind. He's a man of suffering, familiar with pain, or your translation may say grief. Like one from people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds were healed. So this picture of, of, of healing and this, and this vision of God's shalom is spreading through this messianic figure, but he's the servant, he's despised, he's familiar with pain, he's being cast aside and he's suffering and there's a, um, there's a punishment that's coming on him. So there is this really sharp dichotomy that I hope I've laid before you between the messianic king of Isaiah 9 through 11 and the suffering servant motif that we find here in chapter 53. He's a servant. That's not what comes to mind when we think of authority, when we think of power. We don't think of a servant. And he's faceless and unattractive. No one is honoring him or giving him praise. He's not on a throne somewhere. They aren't saying, long live the Messiah. They're actually turning away from him. They're ashamed of him. And people aren't loyal to him. In fact, they, they reject him and they despise him. So how do we resolve that apparent contradiction of images or visions? Because we're talking about the same messianic figure here. And of course, this is something that hopefully, if you've been following Jesus any length of time, you're already familiar with some of these pictures and you've descended into that a little bit. And I want to do that some more, though, because there's some real poetic irony and beauty in this picture. So when you zoom out and look at the whole story of God, what Isaiah is pointing towards is, of course, it's the cross. He's pointing towards the cross. And it's this incredible like, unfolding drama that's going on in the life of Jesus that most couldn't see coming and, quite frankly, still many do not. But what we find is that at the root of this message and at the root of this sort of idea from Isaiah is that the Prince of Peace offers shalom by absorbing humanity's evil and through his sacrificial death. So this is how the Prince of Peace gets it done. The Prince of Peace gets it done by absorbing evil through his sacrificial death. And as he absorbs evil and he conquers death, he's able to release shalom. He's able to offer it up and give it. So the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds were healed. So this is the picture that we're meant to see. And this is how the Prince of Peace gets it done. And this is, by the way, at the heart of the redemption story. So when you think about cross, think about Jesus absorbing evil, releasing peace through that sacrificial death. And in the New Testament, this is why the authors of the New Testament, like Paul in, in Romans 5, can say, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that is faith in Jesus, we have, pay, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is reminiscent of 
Isaiah 57, which we read at the top. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus' unrelenting love for you and his commitment to go to the cross for you has brought you peace. And he doesn't just bring us peace. He is our peace. He's the prince of peace. So that ironic wordplay that we find in Ephesians 2 is really cool. And I hope you sort of picked up on it. But the, 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 the like wrenching of all of the images here is that he's destroying, he's doing violence against evil and hate. He's decimating it. He's laying it waste. And the way that he's doing it is like the way that a king would dispatch his army to destroy his opponent or his enemy. And Jesus is claiming his victory in the exact same way. He's claiming his victory over evil. But the weapons of his warfare are meekness and peace. That's how when God goes to do battle, when God goes to do war, he does it through meekness and through self-sacrifice and through peace. And that is what his power is like. And so that image of the suffering servant from uh, Isaiah 53 is actually like the greatest power that the world has ever experienced. Even though most people don't have the eyes to see it. Most people would turn away, despise it. That's shameful, the way that Jesus went to the cross. It's actually the greatest power that the world has ever experienced. And the way that he does battle, the way that he wages peace is through meekness and sacrificial death. So in view of the cross, these two visions of the Messiah from Isaiah are not a contradiction. They come together in this beautiful paradox, and the Bible is filled with paradox. The king leaves his throne, serve his people, to save us from our own rebellion, the mess we found ourselves in that we caused, and then he restored us to his family again. And so now in the language of Philippians, Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. So he humbled himself, but now he's exalted. So this is why the heavenly hosts, when they appear to the shepherds um, outside of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born, they sing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. He's offering up his peace. So when you anticipate peace during Advent, it's not a trite, shallow, hallmark version of our cultural imagination. It's the shalom of Jesus that the angels sang about 2,000 years ago. So when we sing those same words, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests, we are joining in the song of heaven and we are anticipating the reign of Jesus' peace. Because the webbing together of God and humans in delight and flourishing has been restored through the suffering servant turned messianic king. It's a beautiful paradox I hope we can get excited about here at Riverbend at Christmas. And I'm passionate, I hope you, can, you can tell, I'm passionate about us receiving genuine peace and not letting the beauty of shalom blow past us because um, the prince of peace paid the ultimate price for our peace. See what I did there? That's alliteration. Which makes, I know, some of you want to like roll your eyes. But come on, I'm a pastor. And I feel like this is probably my first alliteration all year. So it's Christmas. You got to let me have this one. The shalom, your shalom came at a great cost, a great price to Jesus. So he's the king. He's the one with authority and honor and power. And he was here before the world began. And he was rejected and he, was, he suffered on our behalf. We should be serving him. He served us which means that he's worthy of worship and allegiance. Uh, Danny was showing me this gospel album today, this morning before you guys got here. And it's this, oh man, I just love gospel albums because they're so rich and so good. Um, and like in between all the breaks and the singing, the, the worship leader is shouting stuff like, what's his name? You know, stuff like that, getting the people riled up, which is uh, really, I just realized how wide I am, Danny. Uh, <laughs> I always do that. You guys can forgive me for that. But one of the things that, that, that this worship leader was saying was like, open your mouth and give him what you owe him. Open your mouth and give him what you owe him. Because he's worthy. He's worthy of praise and honor and all of it. He didn't owe us anything. But because he's prince of peace, he forged the way for you to experience his peace. And now that's what we're living in. And that's the hope that we have. And that's what we're trusting in. 
And so the angels have been shouting for years, holy, holy, holy. They, when Jesus is born, they come down from heaven and they appear to the shepherds and they're shouting out, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. And so part of our worship, it has to move into our bodies and into our hearts. It has to produce affection. We're not talking about manufacturing experience. We're talking about just giving him what we owe him, which is, of course, our songs of worship and truly all of our lives because we follow the Prince of Peace. So how do we integrate God's peace into life? That's the question for today. How do we integrate God's peace to life? Number one, we receive his peace. So the message of Jesus' birth, the anticipation of Jesus' birth is not about you and I getting our act together. Because remember from Isaiah 57, we learned that that's actually not really what happens. The the anticipation of Jesus' birth is actually about trusting in the good news that Jesus is the true king. And it's about believing that his reign of peace has begun. So maybe God's peace hasn't made its way into every facet of society yet. We know that. But certainly, everywhere he's worshipped in spirit and truth, his peace has come. His kingdom reign has begun. So that's in your heart. That's in your family. That's in your home. That's in this church. And by the way, his kingdom is spreading. His, he's on the move. He's on the advance. He's not in retreat. He has no fear. There's no fear in him whatsoever. He is the prince of peace, and he's already claimed victory over the kingdom of darkness. He's laid waste to it, and so the kingdom of God is on the advance. So we receive that peace. We receive that peace, and I want to pray peace over you here in a minute. Number two, we, we follow the prince of peace, which I've already said that a couple of times, but here's what I mean by that. It's very tempting for us in our society to insulate and uh, to live in fear. And I, I've, uh, I've experienced this in, in this desire and this temptation in myself over the last couple of years to insulate because of fear. You know, um, I think Lauren did a beautiful job of at the beginning of the gathering just sort of opening that up for us that we've realized these last couple of years how little control we have in life. But following the Prince of Peace means that we're assured of his power and victory. So when we trust and have holy confidence in him and in that, in his reign, there will be no end. Like, like um, Isaiah 9 says, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. So it seems to me that um, in every generation of Jesus followers since the beginning of the church, there has been a couple of different groups. There's been a group that will like isolate and they're motivated by fear of the world, the evil secular age or whatever. And so... We want to isolate out of fear. And by doing that, we forfeit our missional calling and our compelling witness in favor of like battening down the hatches and withdrawing from an evil secular age. And it seems easier, easier for us to raise our families and to preserve our values away from like the harsh post-Christian winter. But when we let f- fear rule our hearts, it like puts out the sacred fire that's the light of the world. No one is impressed by an impotent king. No one is impressed by a king whose followers need to hide out. It ends up backfiring on us too because fear doesn't lead to genuine faith in Jesus. Actually, the fear uh, of evil and trust in the victory of Jesus' cross is antithetical. They, They don't exist together. When one exists, it pushes the other out. So as the more progressively we trust in Jesus, the more fear has to leave. Either he's reigning in peace and we can stand on that truth or he's not and following Jesus is a joke. But we don't isolate in fear. That's not our attitude. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Which, in other words, means, is a poetic way of saying that when the enemy is laying in wait, plotting their attack against me, God is inviting me to party and to celebrate with him because the victory's already been won. That's what that scripture means. So we follow that prince of peace. I mean that we trust in the certainty of his victory and that motivates us to keep the sacred fire burning and to go on the advance with meekness and peace as our weapons of warfare. 
So we, 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 we live boldly as Jesus people. And like many of you, I, I see all of the things that are like mounting against our children's generation. And it gives me pause. And we're not going to talk about them because they sort of produce anxiety and all of that. But I see that we see them. And, and I pray for God to protect my kids from all of that. I have a daughter and a son. Daughter's nine, son who's four. And I pray for God to, the, to protect them. But m- much more than I pray for God to protect them, probably three times, I, I don't... I don't keep track, but way more, I I pray for God to give them courage. I pray for God to strengthen their faith in him. That despite like the majority of people who would laugh at the idea of following after Jesus, oh, that's an antiquated ancient religion that only leads to death or whatever, that they would actually see Jesus for who he is and see the victory that he's bringing and see the peace that he's bringing and actually anchor themselves in that reality instead. Um, I've been reading this guy, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., seriously the coolest name that a scholar could ever have. Um, And he's um, a leading uh, Hebrew scholar and he's written several books on Shalom. And um, I've sort of adapted something that he wrote that I think is really interesting. Um, So I don't know if this is breaking some sort of copyright law, but I took some of what he said and melded it with something I want to say and put it together. So if that's plagiarism or breaking the rules, I hope that none of you report me. (laughs) And I'll gladly write him a letter and tell him I did it. But anyways, he said, uh, this is what the two of us kind of came up with. (laughs) A main goal of Christian formation is to shape disciples with the knowledge, skills, practices, and attitudes that can be thrown into the battle for peace, the battle for universal wholeness, justice, and delight. So in the coming year at Riverbend, when we talk about formation, we talk about disciple training, what we're talking about is being like shaped into people of shalom so that we actually have something to contribute to the battle against evil. And we can actually bring the peace of Jesus. So we want to move through life afraid for ourselves. Wouldn't that be a shame if we made it to the end of this life and the majority emotion that we experienced was fear for ourselves? We want to give our lives away for the sake of the gospel. And as we follow him, we participate in the drama of Isaiah. That, that drama that I was telling you about, the paradox, the poetic irony, and the different images of Messiah, we, we play a part in that drama. We do Prince of Peace stuff. We do the things that we'd see Jesus do. You know, when you experience Jesus and then you experience people who are like Jesus, you're like, ah, that person's doing the stuff that Jesus does. So we want to follow in his pattern. And his pattern is to absorb evil and to spread peace. Absorb evil and spread peace. So um, that's two, this is a two-part thing then. So number one, we absorb evil. That's just what we want to do. Like a sponge absorbs a spill, we want to absorb evil. Meaning that when someone harms us, either directly or indirectly, when someone hurts us either consciously or subconsciously, intentionally, unintentionally, it ends there. Like the scripture says, do not repay evil for evil, repay evil with good. So we don't need to retaliate, we don't need to fight back because we've caught Jesus' vision of peace and we're following in that pattern. That's not weakness, that's actually meekness and great power. That's a power that the world does not have, it's a power that the world has not seen. And when we live into that kind of peace, then we actually get to see shalom burst through the cracks in the pavement and we get to see this place become a more Jesus-like, shalomful place. And that's a good thing. So we absorb evil and we spread peace. That's number two. Because you've received peace from Jesus, you can also give it. We can't give what we don't receive, but now that you have received his peace, you know what it's about. You can share it with others. You can contribute. So a way of putting that is we can contribute to the universal flourishing and delight of all creation. If the definition of shalom is that, then that means we can contribute to that. So anytime, uh, when we say we're people of shalom, what we mean by that is anytime we see uh, something that's unjust, or anytime we see inequity, wherever we see suffering, our instinct, our knee-jerk is to run towards it with the peace of Jesus. We contribute to healing. We contribute to 
uh, people's flourishing. And so if my, the peace I enjoy is at the expense of somebody else, then it's not shalom. So in, in fact, I, I need to have my eyes open to the brokenness and the hurting and the suffering and the poor and the outsider and the ones who Jesus had special concern for. And we need to move towards them with the peace of Jesus. So we contribute to people's healing and flourishing that way. And we, we, we're talking about something practical. I know this might sound theoretical or theological, but it's practical. It's, it's giving to the poor. It's sacrificing our time and energy resource for them, for people on the outside. Just like there seems to always be a group who unhealthily isolates from society, there seems to always also be a group of Jesus people who are running towards the broken places in our world to bring peace. And that's the kind of group that we want to be. That if we weren't here, Bend would feel it. That our city would notice. We want to be people of shalom, who spread shalom. We want this world to be a more shalomful place because of our presence in it. And so I could close a million different ways, but um, there's way more to this topic that I wish I could share with you. But um, to close, I want to introduce you to a really good friend of mine who's also a ministry partner with Riverbend. And this is a person who really models this shalom lifestyle super well. And we want to, in 2022, like increase our partnership with them. And so I just want you to know about the ministry and also learn from my friend, who I'm going to introduce here in a second, who can actually show us a thing or two about bringing shalom. She's given her life to giving a hand up to the poor, the outsider, people who are vulnerable from being exploited in parts of the world that um, I know you're going to want to hear about. Um, this is my friend, Allie Kelly. And you need to know Allie Kelly. Yeah, put your hands together for Allie. So Allie's going to tell us a little bit about what, um, what her ministry does and how her ministry brings shalom. Uh, the, probably the best way, though, to like just give you the quickest intro to Allie and the work that she does is to just play like a one-minute video. So we're going to do that, and then Allie takes us away. Sabe que nós estamos tapando nossa casinha. Nós entrar para dentro. Nós já estamos deste jeito aqui dentro. Então parece que fica mais seguro, né? to see you. Thank you, yeah. Andrew, for sharing the stage here with yeah, me. Of and um, um, I'm very, very, very happy to be here with you today. And as you can see here, the CRY Brazil is partner and sister organizations with Justice, Justice, Compassion and Hope. And we are getting together with Riverband yeah, yeah. and my brother and partner yeah. now. We are yeah. working together to help people um, to prevent sex trafficking, to prevent uh, um, abuse, and to prevent uh, domestic violence. All those things that sometimes is so difficult for us to talk about and deal with. But um, as some of you already know me, and uh, um, before I did 
this, which I'm still doing, right? I'm originally from Brazil, and um, I used to work as a um, 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 uh, private investigator and then also uh, as a self-defense um, for the Portland police when I was working and when I was living in Beaverton area. So Westside invited me to take them to Brazil and to present with the needs what we have in Brazil, being from Brazil, right? So I took a group of people there and in my mind I thought, you know what, I'm just going there just to show these people what Brazil is and I come back home and my life continues, right? So it's one of those things when God is calling you to do something. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much you run. Yeah. God is right there, right? Yeah. Say, I want to work with you. So I don't know if you know my husband, Chris Kelly. Yeah. Um, my husband and I, we used to be missionaries in Brazil and Argentina for the past 11 years. And when we came back home, I thought, this, I'm done with this. Right? Yeah. I don't want to work with mission work anymore because <laughs> people are too complicated and I'm worse. <laughs> so I decided, honey, let's just stay home mm -hmm. and do nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're working and God wants you and he's calling you, he will find you. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. And when the, this whole program started and then the mission started, I ran crazily from God. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was like Moses, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. Mm -hmm. You cannot even speak English well enough. <laughs> so what in the world do you think you're going to be doing speaking yeah. for a bunch of Americans, right? Yeah. So go learn your grammar first. That's yeah. what my understanding about myself. <laughs> and God said, no, I'm sorry. I want yeah. you there. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. I thought, you know what, God, I'm running one more time because Jonah did. Why not? I will yeah, do that yeah, too. Yeah. So then I was running away in a different direction because I thought, you know what? I don't want to go back yeah. to be with these people, my people, right? Sinful people. I don't want to be there talking about God and they don't want to hear me. And God put me inside of several wells, right? Mm. And I sat there and prayed. And then I thought, you know what? Let's stop this. Mm. Let's serve what you want, and I'm here for you. So um, I'm here not because I am awesome. I'm here because this is God's mission. 100% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is his vision. Mm -hmm. I'm just a vessel that yeah. God has been using. Yeah. And uh, this is our team. Which, in by Brazil. the way, I noticed that Brooke snuck his way into your team photo. <laughs> Did you guys see that? Um. <laughs> he was there. He yeah. saw it. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. This is our team in Brazil. They are uh, volunteers. Here the Cry Brazil exists as a 501c3 to help young kids, young girls, and boys to survive from sex trafficking. And unfortunately, the location where we are working right now in Fortaleza, in the northeast of Brazil, is three hours from that city. It's a very beautiful city. It's a very much a touristic area but it's a great target for sex traffickers. Mm -hmm. So um, we started this work three years ago and uh, here the Cry Brazil in combined with Justice and Compassion, which is American 501c3, we are helping to build a different life and bring dignity back to mm. the people that lost the dignity. Mm -hmm. So I believe uh, going on uh, what, what Andrew said today, God is calling us to be a peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Mm -hmm. And then when we think about to make peace, we have to act yeah. in that peace, right? Then yeah. sometimes we think when we are bringing peace to someone, we have to stay quiet. Mm -hmm. We can't not say anything because peace is quietness, right? Mm -hmm. No, we need to have the courage to stand for what's right. Yeah. And work with survivors and yeah. find places for them to recover yeah. is very, very difficult mm -hmm. because shame and guilt is one of the things that not just not just them mm -hmm. go through this, mm -hmm. but all of us, mm -hmm. right? So the work that we are 
that God is calling all of you, myself and Andrew, to do is not for us to be there being the bosses and the awesome Americans that we mm. are. Yeah. We are going to be involved in the projects that we want to serve. Yeah. We want to be there not to be the captain, mm -hmm. but to serve, to mm -hmm. help them to find a new way of life. Yeah. So um, I think we have here um, our mission statement. So our mission is to bring sustainability and development to the people, justice for, justice for those that have lost their voice, compassion for those who were forgotten, and hope for those who uh, stopped dreaming. And, and that, that, that is exactly what we are doing here, mm. right? So I have uh, this um, I started I want to share with you. Uh, Marina is um, mm. this young girl. She is from this last trip when I was there. Unfortunately, her parents died last Christmas in a car accident. So not just her parents, but her mother, um, uh, grandmother, grandfather. Everybody was going to church. That night, and a drunk uh, driver hit the car. They died, but the guy survived. And uh, she is 11 years old. She has a seven years old brother, 15, and a 25 years old sister that is already married. And uh, she is already has her own family. When the Marina's mom died, she was there alone with nobody to help her. So um, it was a very tragic story. And then a couple months ago, her older sister contacted uh, Hear the Cry, Brazil. And they talked to me, she talked to me, and then she said, listen, two sex traffickers approached my sister, she's 11, and we have no food to eat. And they offer, do you want to sell yourself for food? And they need food. She's just 11, and she's the perfect age for the sex traffickers in that area. And in the moments like that, we feel like it, what we do, right? But we have a very, very important philosophy as an organization. We don't want to give handouts. We don't want to give easy way. Like I said, I want to bring dignity for people. Yeah. So then I got in contact with several people, amazing donors, and I, I said, this is the situation. She needs a job. This family needs a, a way to bring food to the house. What we can do. So her sister, I, I think I have a picture of her, uh, Jamil, is now our first assistant for Hear the Cry Brazil locally. She's going to be doing the basic things that any organization needs to be doing, like answer phone calls, calling people, take care of some, watching the projects that we are having already going on locally. So we offered this job for her, and then we said, we don't give money, we give opportunities, that's what you want. And then she said, yes. And that is justice, that mm. is compassion, yeah, that on. is hope. Yeah, you bring it to people what, not an easy way out, but a way for them to say, I can fight for what is right. So now she's going to be working and uh, um, our organization mm -hmm. has been blessed. For, we have been, we are young, we're three years, just three years that we started since we became 501c3. But we got a donation for huge uh, <laughs> acres property. Mm -hmm. So then we can build a community center for the kids. We can build in that location. We're going to have a, a clinic, a shelters. We're going to have places to hold an area for sports for the kids. And we're going to have a huge area so then we can bring my friend here to sing for us <laughs> and that, you know, to teach the Bible. So yeah. that donation is changing lives there. Yeah. And that's why it's so beautiful about this work. Mm. And I, um, I think we have um, something there. Yeah. Uh, what we call, like I said, when we call, when God's calling us to do something, he does, doesn't want us to just stay there running forever, right? He mm. wants us to stop and say, okay, Lord, what I can do to serve you. This is not an easy work. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're dealing with people's emotions, people's feelings, 
and especially from another country, with another culture. We need to understand they have a, a very sensitive way of thinking. And um, I wanted to recommend for some of you that really are interesting to be part of this um, beautiful project called Toxic uh, Charity. Mm -hmm. And this is a new way that we all should be helping uh, the world, not just uh, there, but just as in compassion, yeah. also is working here in Brazil. Yeah. Yes, awesome. then I passed for you. This is so good. I, and I have you guys, more to say, you know but I have a distinct Yeah, I know. Actually, we're like the worst combination of people to be up here because when we get together for coffee and talk about justice and compassion, it's like a two and a half hour two minimum. Two hours later, uh, uh, then we'll so, go home. But, um, so you can please chat with Ali after the gathering, but we need to know how can we participate? How can we join the, uh, join the fight? How can we help? Thanks asking that yeah. so first of all we yeah. truly truly need prayers yeah. because when do you pray yeah uh, not just you because yeah. i know that all of you <laughs> but all of yeah. you are praying yeah. you are bringing this project to mm -hmm. god right mm -hmm. and right now that's exactly what we need also, if you did not do your Christmas shopping yet, uh, yeah. do me a great favor, go to Amazon Smile. I don't know if you know the program. Yeah. Amazon Smile and choose your charity that you want to help. Justice, Compassion, Hope is there. And then you can buy something. Yeah. And then a little bit of the, your purchase going to our organization. Yes. Also, you can uh, check our website yes. and see how you can volunteer and help. Yeah. As I say, Justice in Compassion is also project uh, working here in mm -hmm. the United States as well, not yeah. just there. And also we have uh, this huge need because we're building this community center. So we are fundraising now $300,000 to finish the whole project from the mm -hmm. beginning to the end and mm -hmm. already let them to be self-sufficient yeah. after this whole thing because that's the goal. Yeah. So please pray for that yeah. and whatever help you want to yeah. give, yeah. we are very thankful for it. Yeah, so go to the website justiceincompassion.org. Just, yes, just in compassion and hope.org. Okay, yes. we'll do that. And for the next gathering, let's make sure we have the website up there. But go uh, and talk to, to Ali afterwards. You can support financially. Also, um, I'm going to be going in February. And uh, there'll be future trips as well that you can join in on. Let's, will you guys pray with me for Ali? And let's pray to close um, and worship team come up. And we're going to end in, in worship. Will you uh, stand with me, please, as we pray? Thank you. So, Father, we, we just want to say thank you for sending Jesus, who is bringing your reign of peace. Thank you that that's what we now experience. Thank you that you've called us to join you in the fight. Thank you that the way that you wage battle, the way you wage war is so different from the world. And that instead of weapons of violence, you bring peace. That is such a good, redemptive, beautiful truth. We stand in that. We're wholly confident in that. We also, we pray your peace over us. Would we receive your peace? We also pray for Ali, who leads this incredible ministry here, the Cry Brazil. And we just pray, God, would you just expand their influence, expand their anointing. We pray that there would be hundreds of stories to follow Jamil that there would be hundreds more who are rescued out of the sex trade or uh, all of that, that they would actually be able to um, have a new opportunity, a new way of life. And God, we just pray you would expand Ali's influence. Pray that you would call us as well to be active members and participants in bringing your peace in Fortaleza, Brazil. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We give you what we owe you. We give you our worship. We give you our praise. We give you everything, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 So um, the tables are open. Also, go back to receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Um, and then let's sing. Let's worship them.